Father, we come before you this morning as the one who is the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the everlasting Counselor, or the everlasting Father. And we praise you this morning for who you are. It's not what we have made you, it's what you are. And we praise you today that you have made yourself known to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, through the revelation of the Word made flesh, and you have invited us in to participate. Participate in fellowship with you through faith in Christ. God, I pray this morning that as we worship you through the Word, in learning, in hearing, may the expression of worship move out from this place and lead to transformation in us that we might not just be hearers of the word today, but that we would be doers of the word. And that through the, the privilege of worship that we have enjoyed this morning, that that experience would continue to spill out from us into the places that you have called us. The places of work, the places of community, the places of family, God, that you would be preeminent in our attention and that worship of Christ would echo and resound through hearts that have been captured by glory. Lord, as we look into your word, we ask that your presence would be known and experienced by all who are here. And if there are those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that your Holy Spirit, even in these moments, would begin to work and convict and to draw hearts to salvation. Thank you for your son Jesus and, and all that he came to accomplish for us. May he be on the center stage this morning as we look at the story of his birth in Luke chapter one. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We have been talking this entire year about the glory of God. And often when we think about glory or, or our trying to describe glory in some way, we, we talk about brightness, we talk about radiance, we talk about light, and certainly those are expressions of God's glory. We see the evidence of his glory, and, and Moses saw the evidence of God's glory in Exodus chapter 34, and, and when he saw the glory of God and came down from the mountain, his face shone with that same glory, that reflected glory of God. But we have said throughout this year and continue to, to draw your attention to understand that the glory of God is more than light. The glory of God is the evident presence of God among us. His, the manifestation of himself, the display of all that God is in making it clear to us and, and, and drawing our attention to see it in lots of different ways. Of course, the, the greatest and fullest and clearest expression of God's glory came in the person of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John writes about that in John 1.14 when he says, And the word became flesh, speaking of Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to show God's glory. 
And and Jesus came to, to draw us in to experience that glory for ourselves. But when we come to see God's glory, when we come to experience God's glory, it always leads to one thing. It always leads to the ultimate purpose, the chief purpose that God has created us, and that is worship. That glory is meant to lead you to worship. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. I would encourage you to turn there, if you would, please. I think it's on page 855 if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you. And we're going to, we're going to cover the, the landscape this morning. And there are some benefits to covering larger blocks of of material. So you can see the themes as they're spread across the the narrative itself. We have benefited from some in-depth looks at the the narrative of Jesus' life. And and this morning, I want to just give you a, a fuller view so you can see a greater part of the picture and appreciate who Jesus is and come to see what the glory of God, the presence of God, must lead to in the hearts of his creation. It must lead to worship. By way of illustration, I want to show you some close-up shots, okay? Here's the, the first close-up shot. What, what, is, what is this? Who would, who would venture a guess? What is that? What are your thoughts? That is a paintbrush. I I thought maybe it was a toothbrush, but uh, it's a paintbrush, and maybe not one like this, maybe more like the the brush that you would paint a house with. That close-up shot kind of gives you uh, some some detail of what's happening at a, a, well, not a microscopic level, but a a very uh, zoomed-in level of the brush. But it's not until you see the fuller view that you know what's going on. How, How about this next one? This is one I couldn't figure out. What are your thoughts? We got a smart one over here. Anybody else? This is actually a cantaloupe. Okay? The, the, the outer skin of a cantaloupe. I, I, never, I never guessed. I thought maybe it, it was some coral or, or something else, but no, it's, it's cantaloupe. How about this one? Ah, that's, that's a little easier. Sunflower, good job. How about this next one? I hear, I hear it. Ah, good. The kids know. Hey, it's food. It's spaghetti. Yeah, my favorite. Good, good job, guys. How about this one? What's that? Lettuce is a good try, but not quite. This, this is a lime. Okay? It's a lime. And this is one of our favorites, probably. You have had some of this today. Coffee. Yes. You know, there's something about the, the zoomed-up view. It gives us a greater appreciation for the textures. It gives a greater, a greater appreciation for the detail. And, and what I love about creation and the way that God made things is as the, the closer you get, the, the more detail you see. There's almost, you can't ever get close enough where there's more to learn. There's, there's more detail that, that you see and certainly that is true in the scriptures. The, the scriptures are infinite in their depth and richness and wealth and, and there's beauty and joy in, in seeing the, the, the in-depth view of the word of God but there's also tremendous advantage for us to see the, the breadth and the, the zoomed out look and, and be able to see the themes of, of the gospel as presented to us by the, the writers of the, of the word of God. This morning I want to 
I want to draw our attention to Luke. And, and we have been seeing through the narrative of Luke that, that God shows up to his people. What a grace, what a mercy of God to show up to his people. And, and we see his glory in the unexpected places. We find that in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, where it opens this way. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. And last week, as we were walking through this, we, we pointed out the fact that God's glory shines despite world events. This was not a world event that would have, that would have lifted the spirits or encouraged anyone living in the first century Israel. There was oppression that was happening in the first century. There was an empire that was controlling and governing the people. There was very little, if any, freedom of the people to make any decisions for themselves. There was heavy taxation. There was accountability. And to make matters worse, there was this man named Herod, who was not a Jew, but was actually an Edomite, one whose descendants were from Esau, which would have been kind of a slap in the face for those living as Jews, because the promise to Isaac was the older shall serve the younger, speaking about Esau shall serve his brother Jacob. And now it was in reverse. Herod, as an Edomite, a descendant of Esau, was actually ruling over the people. This would have been insulting to the people living in first century, especially those who were looking for a Messiah. They needed to deliver. They wanted to remove this oppression. What is more is the prophetic darkness that, that hovered over the people. Over 400 years, they had not heard a, a message from God, from either a prophet or directly from him himself. They were living in dark days. But God's glory is going to shine to this people. It's going to begin to awaken the hearts and, and draw them to see the greatness of the glory of God. This morning, I, I just want you to understand that God's glory shines in the darkest times. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation, if things feel desperate, if things feel hopeless, this is a time that God delights in showing up. This is the time that God delights in his glory shining into your hearts and lives in shining through your situation. When all hope is gone, the hope of a Savior can come. We also find, as we continue to move through this narrative, in verses 5 to 7, that God's glory shines despite past heartache. If there's anyone here that has suffered or felt any heartache in life, then maybe you can identify a bit with these two characters. This couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. We find in verse 5, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. From a human standpoint, everything was working out for this couple. You couldn't have chosen another lineage to have outside of the lineage of David. Having direct connection to Aaron himself, being given the privilege of serving in the temple, those who were considered righteous before God, blameless in all the commandments. But there was a problem. A significant problem, especially in the, for those living in the first century. Because those who were Jews who could trace their lineage back to Abraham 
and could understand and recognize the significance of the promises given in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the blessings would, that would come for those who were obedient to the law and the curses that would come to those who were disobedient, a fruitful womb was an indication of God's favor. And yet, for whatever reason, God had chosen in their life to, to keep them from being able to enjoy a fruitful womb. The perception of outsiders would have been, well, obviously, they're not living the way that God has called them to live. Obviously, God's hand is not on them. The favor of the Lord has been removed. But regardless of how the, the community may have felt about them, Zechariah and Elizabeth were people of faith. And we know they were people of faith because they were people who were committed to the things of the Lord. They're people who pressed in, who continued to live this blameless life. People who didn't allow the heartache and the pain and the sorrow of unanswered prayers to keep them from doing what they knew that God had called them to do. And here, Zechariah is in Jerusalem. He's about to receive the best word he could possibly have imagined. God delights in shining in the midst of heartache. If you're experiencing heartache or pain or grief or sorrow or crisis, God wants to be the answer for you. Not a child, not a promotion, not a, a strained relationship that God is helping to, to relax, not, not good news from the doctor. Those may be beneficial, but the best and greatest news of all, the glory of God shines through the promise of his son. And the greatest heartache you may have experienced will only be satisfied and eased as you direct your heart to find satisfaction in him alone. We find in verses 8 to 25 that God's glory shines through divine initiative. It is, it is so, it is so God-like to step in when things are broken. It, it is so like God to, to step in when all hope is gone and to, to take the initiative and to shine his light, the glory of himself in the midst of hard things. And that's exactly what he does in verses eight to 25. It says, now while he was serving, speaking of Zechariah, as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Now this was a, an opportunity of a lifetime. This was a once in a lifetime kind of thing. He essentially wins the lottery. But it wasn't by chance. God had chosen and selected him for this very purpose to perform this duty in the temple so that he could receive this significant message. Zechariah chosen by law to enter into the temple. And let me just show you a graphic that would help you understand uh, what we're talking about here. This is a, a comparison between Herod's temple and Solomon's temple. You can see the grandeur of the temple of Herod that was built during the first century. Especially in light of the, the, the grandeur of Solomon's temple, which, which was always revered. And this next picture gives you a kind of a cutaway to see inside the temple and, and Zechariah would have represented the people in this outer chamber of the temple standing before the veil the holy of holies offering up incense which was a symbol of the prayers of God's people to the Lord himself representing the people before the Lord 
And what do you suppose he was praying for? He was praying for a redeemer. He was praying for a deliverer. (laughs) But he and Elizabeth had also been praying for years for a son. So what prayer do you suppose that God is about to answer? Verse 10 says, or verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will call his name John. The answer has come. And not just any answer. Not only an answer for a son after years and years of barrenness and and past any hope of having any fruitful womb, but also the beginnings of the answer of a Messiah, as John the Baptist would be the precursor, the forerunner to the Messiah. Deliverance would come in this culmination of this answer to prayer combined into one person, John the Baptist. God was beginning to bring about the answer that Elizabeth and Zechariah had prayed for for years. Now we turn our focus to verses 26 and 33. And now picking up in verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God's glory comes again and shines in unlikely places. God delights in shining in unlikely places. We're not in Jerusalem anymore. We're not in the center of worship anymore. This is no longer the the place where anyone would expect. This is in the outlying places of Galilee. As a matter of fact, it was so outlying that it was known as the Galilee of the Gentiles somewhat polluted by Gentile population, no longer as pure, no longer as clean as they might expect. This concentration of Judaism was now intermingled by Gentile population. This happens in the sixth month. This would be the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And Mary gets this inside scoop and begins to to think about the wonder of this miraculous conception happening for her relative Elizabeth. What in the world is taking place? And Gabriel is sent to this city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth, Nazareth, also an unlikely place, a town that's about 75 to 100 miles away from Jerusalem, which only have a few hundred people that live there. So obscure and insignificant was this little village that it's never mentioned in the Old Testament. Nazareth was not on any of the major trade routes. All of the important roads bypassed it. It was off the beaten path. And so that Nathaniel, who would later become a disciple of Jesus Christ, 
would make the comment, can anything good come out of Nazareth? God delights in showing up in unlikely places. God delights in showing up with unlikely people. And certainly Mary was unlikely in every way. As a virgin, she couldn't even have the human understanding of of a conception, and yet the Gabriel was showing up to her. Of course, a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter seven. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. And she was betrothed to be married, which means that she was engaged. Marriage would follow a a two-part process. There would be this engagement or betrothal which would last for about a a, a year to ensure that the woman who was getting married was pure in every way. She had not had previous relationships. She was not going to have a baby. An engagement involved a formal agreement that could only be broken through a divorce uh, settlement. They were considered husband and wife until the point of their actual wedding, actual marriage. And Joseph was to be her husband. He was of the house of David so that Jesus would have a legal right to rule. Mary herself, her genealogy is captured for us in Luke, also can trace her ancestry back to David so that in every way, Jesus was the legitimate heir of the throne of David. We see here also this unlikely greeting. Gabriel says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This word favored is the word karatao, which means to show kindness or grace. It's actually a derivative of the word grace. And what Gabriel is saying is, Mary, you have enjoyed the grace of God. The favor of God is on you, meaning you didn't deserve this. Only by the grace of God have you been able to experience what I'm about to tell you right now. Mary has been graced by God that she has been chosen to have God's son. The the only other time this word is used in the New Testament, it's used in Ephesians chapter one. It's used of, of those who come to God in faith. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. That's our word. Accepted, favored, showered with grace. The kindness of God is on everyone who God has called himself to enjoy the benefits of salvation. So like Mary, you and I can experience and enjoy the kind favor, the grace of God on our lives. We can have this same kind of of opportunity and privilege as, as God has called us to himself. If you respond in faith, you can experience this same kind of grace, this same kind of blessing. Mary, you found grace with God. And, and let me just tell you, Gabriel says, I want, you, I want to tell you how amazing this young boy will be. And he gives a five-fold description of Jesus in verses 32 and 33 where he says, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary's tasted a measure of the glory of God is coming through the message, messenger of Gabriel. The, the participation that she will have in having this Messiah, Jesus himself. And what we're going to see in the, in the next phase, we're going to see that God's glory shines to humble servants. Mary responds to this news not to say, well, of course it's coming to me. Mary maybe even trying to sort through all of the implications of this kind of news and, and wondering how she's going to be accepted in this community. Instead of responding and pushing back against the news, receives the news with a humble heart. Luke 1, 34 to 38, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with, wit, with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary responds to this amazing news with humility. Mary responds to what can be this life-altering news with humility. I will be a servant to God. The, the word here is not just servant, it is actually the word slave. She's importing this idea, this understanding, even from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, where Hannah, the, who also had prayed and pleaded with God to give her a son, has the same kind of posture and says, this is Hannah now, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the afflictions of your servant, same word, and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. The same posture of Hannah is the posture that we find in this little girl named Mary, a willingness to be used of God in, for the purposes that he had called her to serve. And for those who enjoy and taste the glory of God, they will, they will be those who commit themselves to worship God. And that's what we see in the next uh, the, the, the last part of, of this chapter, we'll see this succession of worship. We'll see Elizabeth, who worships God. We'll see Mary, who, who worships God. And Zechariah, who worships God. The expression of a heart who has been gripped and captured by the glory of God, the presence of God, leads to worship. And I want you to notice a couple of common ingredients for each of these situations. Elizabeth worships God in verses, uh, in chapter 1, verse 39. We find, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit's presence leads to worship. We'll see that in Elizabeth's life. We'll see that as we look at Mary's life. We'll see that later as we look at Zachariah's life. The Holy Spirit will lead a heart to worship. For those who truly believe in God, for those who have been captured by the glory of God, their hearts will bow in worship to God. Mary enters this home having traveled somewhere between 90 and 100 miles alone as a young single girl from the northern parts of Israel down past Jerusalem into the hill country of Judah, making her way into this home. And the standard greeting was the greeting, rejoice! And the greeting led to worship. The joy of God sent shockwaves into this home. And and this now becomes the epicenter of worship in Jerusalem. John leaped in Elizabeth's womb and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. The promise that Gabriel had given to Zechariah saying that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb takes place. God's sovereignty and divine initiative are acting on this situation and leading the participants in worship. Elizabeth responds in verse 42. She exclaims with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth recognizes what's taking place. The Holy Spirit, having entered into her, fills her with this prophetic understanding and she begins to focus not on Mary, don't misunderstand, this is not revering or honoring Mary, but recognizing the grace of God to Mary because of what was inside of Mary, the Lord Jesus Christ. The focus of worship is to him. She uses this word blessed, which in the Gospels is is, uh, most often used to describe the, the blessed Savior, almost exclusively used for Jesus in the in the Gospels. 30 years later, Jesus would also pronounce a similar blessing for those who believed in him by faith. In Luke 11, verses 27 to 28. A woman in the crowd says to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Jesus, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Yes, Mary was favored by God. Yes, Mary had experienced the the blessing of God by being an instrument of God to birth the Savior But Jesus wants you to understand that if you are a person who believes in the word of God and keeps it, if you're a person of faith, you can also enjoy and experience the blessed hand of God on your life. That same blessing that came to Mary is a blessing we can all experience as we come to him in faith and enjoy the presence of God in our lives. Mary is not blessed because of some supposed merit or distinctiveness. Mary is blessed because of faith. And faith we know is a gift. It's a gift of God that he gives to us 
because of his grace. Do you believe in God this morning? Elizabeth worships God, but we find in verses 46 to 56 that Mary also worships God. And if you look on the back of your, of your notes, you'll see that Mary, having already been overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, Mary now speaking the words of the Scripture, and full of the Holy Spirit, her words are captured for us, and we know that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, holy women too. Here, Mary, full of the Spirit, begins this prayer, and it's a prayer of worship. Notice in verse 46, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Throughout this song of praise, it's broken out for us in three different sections, beginning with Mary's understanding of the goodness of God, praising God for what he has done for her individually. His mercy on her, his using of her. In verses 50 to 53, Mary gives praise to God for what he has done for humanity. We see his mercy is for those who fear him, From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And then in verses 54 and 55, Mary gives praise to God for what he has done for his people Israel. And all throughout this song of praise, you will see it's punctuated and saturated in the scriptures. That's what happens for those who experience the glory of God, for those who are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and those who know the word of God, it leads to worship, amplified worship. <laughs> and I'm... I stole from the, uh, the, the cross-references in the ESV just to kind of give you a, an idea of, of how many of these phrases and words in this, in this uh, song of praise are coming and springing from the scriptures. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 are kind of the outline of this song of praise. Psalm 34, verses 2 and 3. Psalm 35, Chapter 9, Isaiah 61.10, Habakkuk 3.18, then 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, Malachi 3.12, Zephaniah 3.17, probably some books that many of us have never even read. Mary is, is deriving her prayer, her song of praise to God from the scriptures, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's... It's punctuated by divine initiative. Verse 48, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. And verse 54, he has helped his servant 
Israel. The zeal of the Lord will do it, as we saw from Isaiah chapter 9. And Mary, recognizing the work of God happening right before her eyes, is celebrating the the wonder of God, the glory of God through worship. And Zechariah will do the same thing. Mary will leave. John the Baptist will be born. Zechariah will scribble a little note to confirm the name of John to his young son. God will open his mouth and the first thing that Zechariah is gonna say is praise to God from verses 67 to 80. We're gonna see the same kind of thing. Zechariah, notice in verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, notice verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Worship abounds and explodes from Zechariah, this priest. And throughout the rest of this, uh, this, the rest of this chapter, we're gonna see this prophetic witness of Zechariah who is filled with the Spirit, speaking the words of Scripture and confessing his words worship and adoration to God for what he has done. As an exercise this week, I want to just encourage you, actually for the next 12 days, we have 12 days of Christmas, Christmas, right? So from now until December 24th, there's 12 days. And there are 12 verses here. And I would encourage you that that each day of this week as a homework assignment and actually spilling into uh, right up to Christmas, I would encourage you to pray a verse from Zechariah as a song of praise and worship to God as part of your 12 days of Christmas to orient your heart to celebrate the wonder of what God has done. I put that in your notes, some ideas of, of how you can pray through that verse, but recognizing that the glory of God will lead the heart of true, believer, true believers to worship. Those who are filled by the Spirit and those who abide in the Word of God will be punctuated by worship. It will, it will govern your life. It will characterize your day-to-day. Closing with these two verses, two passages, one in Ephesians chapter five that says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but what happens for those who are filled with the Spirit? Well, they're going to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with their heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you see? Worship. Worship happens for those who are filled with the Spirit. In Colossians chapter three, verses 16 and 17, you're gonna see a a corollary. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, here we go again, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, to the Father through him. Worship. Those who are indwelt and filled with the Spirit Those who anchor their hearts to the word of God are characterized as those who worship. May this holiday season 
God help us not to get so preoccupied with the cooking and the families and the decorations and the gifts and the shopping and all of the fun things about Christmas. But may God fix our hearts on worship. May God do for us this holiday season what he did for Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah in leading our hearts to a greater affection of Jesus in a wonder of who he is and that, that it would pour itself out in our expressions of praise to God and our expressions of praise uh, around others as they can hear and participate with us in worship. We have that opportunity tonight. I would encourage you to come. What a great privilege we'll have to, to join again together in worshiping God through music. Would you come? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for the wonder of your son, Jesus. It's almost too hard for us to even imagine the great privilege that we have of like Mary being favored ones and like Mary being blessed ones as you have given us the gift of faith and called us into relationship with you, with you that we can be called the children of God. God, may this be at the forefront of our attention, especially through this holiday season. Give us the joy of leading others to participate in the same worship as we share the gospel with them. May you open their hearts and minds to receive the truth and come and enter into fellowship with Jesus Christ. May you be praised this holiday season. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. God bless you.